I'm Josh Escovito of Weintraub Tobin. And I'm Scott Hervey from Weintraub Tobin. What happens if a copyright is infringed, but no one sees the work infringed? Is that still infringement? The Ninth Circuit addressed such a case, and we're going to talk about it on this installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. Last year, the Ninth Circuit addressed the question whether the de minimis use defense provides a complete defense where a copyright is technically infringed, but the likelihood of anyone seeing the work infringed was highly unlikely. So these are the underlying facts of this case. Richard Bell, a photographer and lawyer, took a landscape photograph of the Indianapolis skyline. At that time that Bell took the photo, as I said, he was an attorney in an Indianapolis law firm that apparently, uh, with the permission of Bell, had posted this photo on the law firm's website. Now, Bell also posted the photo on a photography website and on his own photo gallery website from which Bell licensed the use of his photographs. In 2018, Bell ran a reverse image search for the photo on Google Images in order to monitor infringing uses. Apparently, this photo and another one of Bell's photos of the Indianapolis skyline were very popular. As Bell ultimately filed over 100 copyright infringement lawsuits concerning the Indianapolis skyline photo and about another 100 concerning a different photo that he took of the skyline. Through one of these reverse image searches, Bell found the Indianapolis skyline photo on a server database associated with the website visitusa.com. Apparently, someone just searching the internet would not have been able to access the photograph by visiting the website, but the image could be accessed only through performing a reverse image search, as Bell had done, or from those who actually knew the precise address of the image database archiving the photograph. Yeah, that's an important aspect of the fact that the image was stored deep on the visitusa.com server, and anyone navigating the usa.com website really would not be able to locate it. You, you had to have the pinpoint uh, HTML address for that particular image as it resided on the visitusa.com server. So in April 2018, Bell notified uh, Willamont Storage Services, the then operator of visitusa.com, that it was displaying his Indianapolis skyline photo without his permission. In response, Willamont advised Bell that it had removed the photo from the original location on its website. But apparently, it hadn't. One year from Bell's letter, he did another reverse search, and that showed that Willamont continued to display the image on its server, just at a slightly different location. According to Willamont, trying to explain this away, uh, Willamont said that the person tasked with the photo's removal uh, only changed the file name from park.jpg to park underscore yyy.jpg, uh, rather than just remove it completely. So, of course, Bell sued. Of course he did. And Willamont moved for summary judgment based on the affirmative defense of de minimis use, fair use, and statute of limitations. The district court granted summary judgment for Willamont on the de minimis use defense, and therefore they did not address the, either the fair use or the statute of limitations defense. Bell accused Willamont of violating his exclusive right to publicly display his photo on its server. This raised an interesting point in the Ninth Circuit's opinion. 
the court had not yet addressed the issue of whether one publicly displays a work where it's only accessible to members of the public who either possess the specific pinpoint address or who perform a particular type of online search, here a reverse image search. The Ninth Circuit applied the server test, which was adopted in the 2007 case Perfect 10 Inc. versus Amazon Inc. The server test provides that where a computer owner stores an image as electronic information and then serves that electronic information directly to the user, the computer owner is displaying the electronic information, which can be in violation of a copyright holder's exclusive display right. So having concluded that Willemont infringed Bell's public display right, the court then addressed Willemont's de minimis use defense. This started with some discussion about the purpose of the de minimis use defense. The court said that the de minimis doctrine is an answer to the question of whether the infringing work and the copyrighted work are substantially similar so as to make the copying actionable. With regard to Willamont, the court noted that the de minimis defense applies to the amount or substantiality of the copying and not to the extent of which the defendants use the infringing work. Willamont argued that the previous holdings uh, suggested that the de minimis use defense applies when the use of the infringing work is minimal. The court clarified that these past opinions addressing de minimis use, the term use does not refer to how extensively the defendant uses the indisputably infringing work. Rather, use addresses the quality or quantity of the protected work that was used by the defendant in order to make the allegedly infringing copy in determining whether the two works were substantially similar. Core made a point of saying that it has never recognized a de minimis use defense based on the alleged minimal use of conceitedly infringing material and reversed the district court's finding for Willamot on its motion for summary judgment. The court also addressed a Second Circuit holding on a de minimis use defense advanced by Willamot as a grounds for the defense, which will have an impact on the use of third-party material in television programs. That's right, Josh. The case discussed was Ringgold versus Black Entertainment Television, which involved the unclear display of artwork in a television series. This was a case where de minimis use was not found. In Ringgold, the Second Circuit described the minimus use as a, quote, technical violation of a right so trivial that the law will not impose legal consequences, even for indisputably infringing works. The Ninth Circuit expressly rejected this theory of technical violations, uh, stating that the wholesale copying of reproduction of another person's protected work, by definition, cannot be de minimis copying. So most of the other decisions discussing the use of uncleared works in a production discuss the amount of screen time the infringing work receives as one of the factors in determining de minimis use. And this frequently ends up being one of the key items that as a lawyer, I talk about with clients. And usually the client is stressing that the item is only on camera for a mere period of seconds. It seems to me, based on this case, that that line of inquiry, the time on screen, has no place in a de minimis analysis where uh, the entire work is being displayed.
I think that's right, Scott. I think that the Ninth Circuit was very clear that what you're saying is correct. Uh, time on the screen wouldn't really matter since the entire work itself is displayed. Right. And if we remember all the cases addressing the minimus use uh, as a defense to non-cleared work appearing on uh, in a television series or in a motion picture, the courts always talk about um, um, observability. How observable is the work? And you know, if the work is entirely observable, as opposed to being obscured by other elements or actors or blurred in the background or only partially visible or in low lighting, um, then the work is fully observable, right? I mean, if it's full screen or you can see all of it, then it is fully observable. And the fact that it may only be on screen for mere seconds as opposed to, you know, tens of seconds, I don't think it, it, it should matter. And apparently, uh, according to the Ninth Circuit here, it, it shouldn't and doesn't. Scott, so we have this ruling coming out of the Ninth Circuit, and it seems like Willamot was using a case out of the Second Circuit, you know, in New York. So those are two of your entertainment capitals. And to me, it seems like the authority is on both sides. So does this create a circuit split? Yeah, I don't think it does. Um, the Ringgold case was a case where de minimis use was not found. Um, it's been a while since I've read Ringgold. But as I remember, I, I think that this wasn't like a, a, a theory that was um, probed deeply in the opinion. And, and frankly, I don't recall ever reading any de minimis use cases where de minimis use was, was found as a defense where this, quote, technical violation theory was advanced. So, I mean, I don't really, I don't, I, I don't think it creates a circuit split, uh, but, but clearly the Ninth Circuit has rejected any aspect of the theory of technical violation. We'll see if it gets advanced in the Second Circuit at some point in time, and it would be interesting to see what the Second Circuit says about its own opinion uh, and whether they um, maybe give a greater explanation as to what they were talking about. That's very interesting, Scott. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and podcast. And for additional content, visit our website at theiplawblog.com. Thanks.